We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the True Faith Podcast. I'm Alex Hurst, joined by Michael Collin and Mark Douglas. Uh, this is the story of Mark Douglas's brand new Newcastle United book, Inside the Revolution, available uh, very shortly, Mark's going to tell us when. Uh, just a quick shout and a plug for the documentary podcast that we'll have out on uh, Rescue, How to Save a Football Club Twice. Uh, you can find that on SoundCloud and iTunes. Pe- feedback's been very positive so far, and it is the story of the United 1978 to 1993. Without further ado, uh, here's Mark. So we're now joined by Mark. Uh, Mark, author of Inside the Revolution. Most important thing, I'm sure. How can people buy it? When and where? Oh, right. So it's, uh, it's in the shops. Um, it'll probably be kind of Friday. I think it's in W.O. Smith's in Newcastle. And then in sort of Warstones, all good bookshops, basically, I think, from Saturday, Sunday. Uh, but if you order it on Amazon or through Trinity Mirror, Sportsbooks, they've got a website as well. So if you order it through them, it'll get to you sort of within a couple of days now. But it's going into... I haven't actually seen a copy of it yet. So I'm kind of like, you know, bit, uh, that's going to be a strange sort of sensation to see that. But if you order it online, I think you'll get it kind of, you'll get it by the weekend. Uh, or you'll get it sort of as soon as possible. But it's actually going to be in WHS, I think, on Friday. And then in other bookshops on Saturday and Sunday. So it's like nine ninety nine. Wow. So, you know, yeah. Reasonably priced. Um, yeah. Do, you know, do you know what it looks like? Have you seen the Have you seen the cover? I've seen the cover. Yeah. So the covers The covers actually quite good because it's a picture that one of my uh, one of our photographers, Lewis Arnold, has done. It's like kind of rapper. Okay, it's a great picture. Like they've got like this kind of dark picture of him. Like the first time he cracked a smile in about three months because he was, <laughs> it was. People forget now about how nervy that kind of like two months were, and that was it. So he cracked a smile. So it's um, yeah. It's, it looks absolutely brilliant. Actually, yeah. the guys from Trinity Mirror Sportsbooks have done. Like they're really kind of experienced. They've done loads. And they did Terry Mack book. Keith Gillespie won the had to be a had to be a football had to lose a million yeah, um, so yeah yeah they're really I mean they're, they're like quality quality kind of operation and stuff so I've been kind of lucky really to work with them first off so it looks great but um, yeah it's still going to be a weird thing to actually have it in my have it in my hand so is it available on Kindle as well people can download yeah. it ebook yeah it'll be uh, ebook on Friday um, and I think yeah so it'll be on Kindle and digital book yeah on Friday so yeah I think that's through Amazon and again through uh, Apple as well again through Apple iBooks as well so. nice one so yeah. me and me and Mick have both read the book um, loved this I'm not just saying that oh thanks mate uh, yeah uh, you know probably kind of a broad question to start probably what was most interesting um, is the background that you managed to create, not just in terms of the season, but the football club in general. Yeah. So, so people who do go buy the book, they'll they'll be reading about Derek Mbias, 
like actually joking yeah, yeah. great stories which which you know if you're listening now you think well how is that relevant in this season but you managed to make it incredibly relevant yeah was that a was that always something you planned to do kind of it's, it's almost a a modern history of the cast of the United do you think that's a fair assessment yeah I think like I think the first the first chapter is basically like I was kind of a bit of a yeah. Uh, I, I wrote the first chapter and I realised I don't think I'd actually mentioned Rafa Benitez's name in about like 1400 words, and I was thinking, oh god, is this, how's this going to work? Like, you know, is, is somebody and I sent it to the guy who was editing, it and he was kind of like, oh no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. But um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was incredibly important to, to kind of sketch that out because um, it wasn't that. I think the most important thing was because I think it, it's it's easy to see it sort of black and white, like the club was completely and utterly on itself as before Rafa came in, which wasn't necessarily the case because like, I kind of tried to make the point that actually for a brief period when Derek Lambias was there and with Graham Carr as well who actually you know I'm probably somebody who maybe defend Graham Carr a little bit more than uh, other people at the football club because I would say that you know they, they at one point they were way ahead of the curve and it was just that kind of two year spell um, after they finished fifth when things just went completely wrong and I kind of like liken it to um, Nokia you know Nokia were kind of this you know they were the biggest they were the biggest kind of mobile phone company at one point weren't they and they just they just kind of lost their way they, they almost became like complacent about how things were and I think Newcastle did that in particular and you had to have that idea of how things had gone wrong before you can realise why Rafa was so essential to the football club because um, we now look at it and we think well oh, Lee Charney you know I think a lot of people would say well Lee Charney was completely incompetent for what he did uh, in kind of doing the Steve McLaren triangular football management thing but like I was actually up there I'm the only person I think who's ever spoken to Lee Charnley and actually got him on the record about stuff and he, and he sat there with me for about an hour and a half telling me why they were doing this kind of triangular management thing and honestly if you just sat there with him on that day in January he just said actually I can sort of see the, the logic in this and it wasn't necessarily the, the idea of what Newcastle were trying to do it was actually in practice they weren't putting it into they weren't putting it right and I think what's really interesting is that Rafa when he comes in actually sees that oh, this club's not completely and utterly yeah. broken there's some good people here and some people who are trying to do their best they're just there's little things that need to be done and little things that need to be done and of course there's, there's still loads of big things that Rafa had to do and had to kind of you know scouting wise Newcastle had kind of gone down a cul-de-sac that was not working you know you can see that but you have to understand where the club was to understand why it worked for Rafa you know and I think in particular like Graham Carr's a great character and I think you know I, I, I kind of look at it as you know the way that he was doing things at one point was you know completely in advance of everybody else in the Premier League because you know there's a story in there about Ars- Arsene Wenger like pulling in his French scouts and this actually you know I, I know from speaking to somebody in the scouting world this you know this happened that Arsene Wenger pulled his scouts in and he said well why are Newcastle getting players in France we've had people there for ages and ages and ages and it was like Newcastle were doing things and being quite aggressive in that market and, and that was why it was kind of working at that point but they just lost their way completely in two years and it was loads of things which I go into in the book that they, they kind of got wrong and and you know, not through necessarily like willful negligence. It was just negligence and not quite and being maybe a little bit too believing their own hype, I think, for a while and, and, and I thought that was absolutely crucial that you had to have that idea of what was going wrong before you realised why Rafa himself says, Oh look, I only had to make little changes at the start. Um, because it's a bewildering kind of football club but a really fascinating one at the same time yeah I think one of the stories you tell about the uh, impasse between Graham Carr and the party was interesting and relevant to how and why Rafa was so keen for control because they've, they've heard him the need is a good example you've given yeah. this is a player who he's done alright but he's just 
he's just been released for a free transfer for a still second division team. And the fact that you go into detail about how Pardew was so keen on British players and, and basically Graham Carr would just say no. Yeah. It, you, like, it seems strange to us as fans to think Graham Carr had that kind of say in a football club where he was able to say that presumably Pardew and Pardew superiors, nope, Vernon Nita is your man. Yeah. Even though we're a season in, yeah. he, he is your man. And then when you when you start getting into things with Rafa, it kind of makes it a little bit more clear about why he was so keen on the... I forget the phrase he used, but the you know the lawyers involved and, yeah. and, and, and yeah. all that kind of stuff when he did do the contract. Yeah, and, and I think what's kind of really interesting is that like I think it, it wasn't like it's almost like the I think the problem in Newcastle for a while was not necessarily that these guys were in pitched pitched battles, so it wasn't like you know that there was this kind of outright war. It was this like little kind of cold war where people weren't really communicating. I think That's the that, I was looking for. Cold yeah, war, yeah, it was really it was it, it was always quite interesting because I think that Graham Carr, you know, he, again he had the best interest of the football club I think Pardew had the best interest of the football club but you know we saw it Cabela didn't work because there was they weren't on the same page and I think you, you could see that at the start they were on the same page because Johan Kavai came in and I think Pardew was won over it, you know, very quickly by the idea that hold on he's a player and he's got a bit of aggression and he's a bit like you know he's bit, but then when Vernon came in I think you could see that you could see early on that, that it was going to take some effort from Pardew to integrate him in and when you actually look at it he did play a lot of games so I have some sympathy with Pardew that he probably worked day to day with Bernard Nieter and thought he's not what I need I need somebody else and it was like there's a story in the book about the player that kind of like Pardew wanted to keep Pardew wanted to keep James Birch and it was basically he went back and he said look I want to I want to keep him and they almost like freed James Birch to say you've got to play Bernard Nieter because technically he's very very good um, um, and what was interesting was then that like you, you had Rathu came in and rated Vernon from the moment he came in. <laughs> it was like it's bizarre, isn't it? But um, but I think what was what was really interesting was that the car, you know, for as much as that, I think that there was there was there is an intent to work together from from him and Benitez, but Benitez couldn't couldn't work in the same way that Pardew, yeah. Pardew worked. But, but Rafa came in and called the shots. You know, Pardew had just been released by uh, Southampton. He just got sacked from Southampton. John Carver was looking to have the job. Steve McLaren was looking to have the job. You know, they had a guy there in Graham Carr who made a lot of good signings and had the ear of the owner. So, you know, it didn't, it didn't work. It was like these kind of internal politics that were just undermining the football club and sort of like step by step. It wasn't like, you know, everybody was... It wasn't like there was an evil villain of the piece. It was just that we, from the outside you could see why it didn't work and it was like these kind of egos and and internal politics it just didn't quite work and then Rafa came in and he was basically like I've got to work my way and that's why it worked and that's why they did it. You know, I think we, I say in the book you know there's, there's certain players that Rafa signed that the cards would not have gone anywhere near and that's when you knew that it was starting to kind of turn because Rafa needed to work with those players on the training pitch and, and I think you know you'd have to say at the end of the season when Rafa pulled it right because they went up as champions and, and some of the players that Rafa that uh, Graham Cole wouldn't have signed actually ended up being the best players in the, uh, best players in the squad yeah interesting I, I found it quite frightening particularly on Anita just how much control Carl had and I never really realised although we, we all kind of knew I never really realised how cut and dry that was and to see it, to see it written down in a, in a book that that Pardew wanted somebody different and Graham Carr just stood, stood his ground and said no yeah. you named the targets didn't you you named the targets that he took you to lunch yeah 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 so, yeah. so when he so yeah I mean basically I mean he was I think I think what was kind of interesting was that we never quite got the idea of what a Pardew team would have looked like yeah. and 
you know, I almost felt for Pardew in a way in that, like, you know, you had to do it on somebody else's terms a little bit, and so did McLaren, you know, because we saw that Mitrovic, I think probably Mitrovic, was not necessarily who McLaren would have wanted, and we never saw what a Pardew team would have looked like, and ironically, they ended up signing John Joe Shelby, who Pardew had pushed really hard for, and they ended up signing, Town- signing Townsend, who they wanted to push really hard for, and I think, you know, like, as I said, I think the reason the car did get a little bit of that um, did get a little bit of that influence and stuff was because he was getting the calls right and basically Mike Ashley was kind of like you know, he's getting the calls right you know but, it, but what was interesting as well was that um, there was that kind of like that brief period where Kinnear was in there and they were both trying to sort of play the system a little bit and that was why I think then the following season it didn't work quite as well because you know Newcastle were going to sign uh, Douglas I don't know if you remember the centre back and that was basically the club was pulled on that because Pardew didn't want him and Kinnear basically used that and that pushed Carr into the point where he nearly resigned off the back of that um, and it was kind of Ashley who stepped in and said oh I don't want you know I don't want you to resign and it's like kind of internecine kind of like little things that were going on behind the scenes that you just think now luckily we don't necessarily have that although we saw a brief period I think in January um, but yeah it's kind of interesting it is interesting that I think you can see that Carr had you know Carr had a, a kind of big amount of influence but that influence came from I think getting the decisions right and having the ear of the owner which I think you know nobody could kind of like argue that, that wasn't the case to be fair to Pardew as well he gets a lot of stick for a lot of good reasons one of the I think Newcastle played Crystal Palace on a John Carver and Pardew was asked did he have any regrets or anything he said the only thing he regretted was the season before he felt the team he was given all fully fit on the pitch he should have got more from and that was a very very honest thing for the saying you look at that team which Carr built and I think he he ran through it and it was like Tim Krull Matthew Dabucci Yanger and B Wakolacini David Sandon Ben Arthur Kavai Teote Sosoko Kufran Lorik Remy Demabar not Demabar Lorik Remy and then Cissé and you, you, you think about that and yet if someone wants to listen back to that interview now who knew nothing of the period nothing of the great car and nothing of the stuff you go into in the book about the dressing room and players and you think that's a team that especially four or five years ago that might not sound as impressive now but these guys were starting for Holland yeah. starting for France and that's some team but I think he's pretty much named the starting 11 from the stadium I like that yeah when we got B2-1 to go to so it, 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 it wasn't all it wasn't all great but I thought that was very honest to a, yeah. a, a guy who gets a bad rap but we were always I don't know if you were but we were always relatively pro Pardew just because we knew not that we know everything but we knew what would happen when he left yeah. <laughs> which, yeah. was, which was disastrous exactly yeah. and I think I think you kind of go back to the Pardew era and I think what's really interesting with, with Rafa is that actually when you actually thought about it some of the stuff that Rafa was saying this season was not a million miles away from what Pardew was telling us but the difference was that you knew that Rafa it was authentic it wasn't with Rafa it was basically based on he had authority he had this kind of cachet that Pardew didn't have because we Pardew suffered because a lot of the things that he was saying were sometimes designed for an audience or even sometimes designed to put pressure on people within the football club who weren't delivering what he felt he needed um, I, I, and I think it's kind of you know I, I, like I was always pro Carr in that I thought he delivered a really good team I mean Lowick, you know, he, I think if you asked Graham Carr he would say that like Lorik Remy was the one that got away from Newcastle because if they got Remy permanently when they wanted to get him when he went to QPR the history of Newcastle United would be very different uh, because they would have A, they would have had a player who you know, permanently he would have scored goals and B, if he'd have gone they would have made so much money on him 
that they would be able to reinvest that in the team and that was possibly another area and I think the first chapter of the book's all about kind of missed opportunities for Newcastle and why it's so frustrating that they're basically now having to build a Premier League team when they had a Premier League team three, four years ago and it was like they made these mistakes and it's like death by a thousand cuts really and you know and it wasn't as I said it wasn't willful negligence it was just all these little things that weren't quite going right and they all kind of built up into a thing where it just didn't work so I suppose moving on to Rafa now since he is the subject mainly of the book um, I think one of the things which I found most fascinating was however you got the information the info from his assistants and A how they came to Newcastle and the phone calls that took place I think quite memorably for me it was just a phone call where um, one of the assistants I'm sure you'll be able to tell us his name um, rings Rafa and says Newcastle what do you think yeah. and he says potential or he says yeah, some words yeah. to that effect and it's quite interesting that's how these football guys operate yeah. out of a job ring each other about you know we're not going to yeah. not be off of the job yet but what would you say if we're, yeah. if we're half it's quite interesting because I think those those backroom those backroom guys are, uh, are so important to Rafa and I think the um, you know it's quite interesting I went down in I think it must have been November I think it was and I spoke to all of those all of those guys and what what I found most interesting about them was just how kind of smart they were and how you know and how they they were guys who'd been at loads of different football clubs like really big clubs and the way they approached Newcastle they were really keen I mean um, it's um, Moreno Francisco uh, Moreno equals Paco who's his absolute lieutenant you know really important guy in Rafa's in Rafa's mind and, and I think that he told me he told me at the time that you know he was really keen to come to Newcastle because he was like, you know, look, it's a really big club. It's a great opportunity for us. And Rafa kind of, Rafa kind of told him at the start, look, you know, should, should I, you know, what do you think? What do you think? And I think it was that enthusiasm they all had to come that persuaded them all. You know, they, they all felt that enthusiasm to come in. Um, and what I found, what I found really interesting, you know, particularly with uh, Paco, but also with um, also with uh, Antonio Gomez Perez and Simon Smith as well, was just the way that Rafa kind of lent on them, and the way that he kind of has this collegiate approach. You know, he's a really important guy in the football club, but he would say that like you know I, they work together. You know, these are guys who have long, long days in the in the football club, and they work together. You know, you hear about them playing cards together and, and kind of getting tapas and watching the games and stuff, and they're almost like living in each other's pockets. And Rafa would tell you that like he wouldn't, he couldn't do what he does if it wasn't for like how those guys operate and stuff and I just love the way that you know they work together and they're really honest about um, you know about the hours that they put in and about the kind of work that they put in as well and how much they're kind of embracing it as well because Alan Pardew again had like quite a, a, a small staff yeah. These are, this is a staff that's you know quite big um, and they and I think a lot of investment's been put in them because I would have thought that they're probably they're probably paid quite well they're probably you know they're, they're a lot of infrastructure's been put in place there that wasn't necessarily in there before because a lot of the data stuff that I think they're doing um, is different from what Newcastle were doing before and you can see it you know you can see it in the way that the team operate and the way that the team have kind of done a lot of the things a lot of selection um, a lot of the tactics a lot of strategy it's all sort of you know it's all so important to have that backroom staff that's um, massively important to Rafa you know but, um, but yeah I was really it, it was quite cool because I, I went down I think it was in November and I, um, I remember I did a few articles on it at the time but I was kind of able to sketch out a little bit more in the book um, just like I did a bit on Dwight Gale's background as well which was 
I was able to go into it in a little bit more detail in the book. So it's been it's been quite nice in a way because there's no limits in a book. You know, in, in an article you've got maybe fifteen hundred words. You can't use everything that you've got. Um, so this was kind of like going back through my notes at the time and, and really sketching out. And now looking back as well, that's some of the things that they were saying became really relevant later on in their book. You know, so yeah, it was quite uh, it was it was interesting to kind of go back through that and, and, and piece together how it worked based on what they were doing in November. I remember I actually spoke to Catherine at the time as well I think obviously I like, haven't used any of that stuff because it's kind of moved on from there um, but he was kind of he was quite important as well and he was you know he was quite an important figure in, in that back room but um, intelligent guys really impressive guys as well you know you can tell they've all got like university degrees as well yeah. uh, Moreno's uh, got a background in uh, physical education hasn't played but he was kind of an impressive runner he, he did quite a lot of stuff you know there as well he had you know they're, they're all like really well-trained, well-educated guys, and I think that comes across because they're intelligent, you know? I think they're guys that work and say, say we'd walk into other top clubs yeah. if they weren't in Newcastle, which is one of the positive things with this administration, that yeah. we're finally have people who don't need Newcastle United, even though, as you quite rightly say, that they're enthused to be here and by the project and the size of the club. And I think like, you, you bring that out really well in the books. Again, just how... Even even more than the football club, the area, and you, you go into detail about the places that the visit is. You go into a little bit of detail about Rafa's private life in, in the sense of how far he is from home and stuff like that. So it's a really well-rounded book um, in, in the sense that when I started reading it, it was kind of one of those things where I wouldn't say a, a fear, but like you don't, anyone listening to this, it's not just a, chron- a chronological list of events that happened this season. Yeah. And that's, that's what sometimes with sports books in the past, I've probably said that's been, you know, I'm into my cricket massively. And so, you know, after every Ashes, the books will come out, and it's literally just what I saw yeah. having this this book kind of fleshes out all of the things that you either didn't know or we didn't know as much about, or, or you know, explain some stuff. So, yeah, it was quite, it was quite interesting because it was, I kind of tried to make it thematic. It runs through the season, so like um, you know, I will kind of go into the games and stuff. But I kind of figured that um, you know, we especially like some of the games. You know, where they went on long runs and things, and and, and you know, like I, I didn't really think there was much to be gained from kind of going through. Oh, you know, in the seventy third minute, this happened, this happened. I mean, I kind of went into a little bit of detail on the Reading game because that was kind of important. Yeah. Went into a bit of detail on the Norwich game, obviously, because that was that was a big one, uh, and. And the two games, the kind of important games at the end of the season. But what was, you know, I don't think anybody really, I think everybody knows what happened in the games, especially because, you know, that, I mean, they were getting sellouts at home, they were getting sellouts away from home. You know, we all kind of know they went to Barnsley and once they played quite well, you know, all, all of those kind of things. It was more about how the process that kind of led led up to doing well in those games and doing well in the running and doing, you know, like, I, I thought it was quite interesting um, that kind of wobble towards the end and how cool Rafa was in there and how the players were kind of you know we were all kind of getting a bit nervous but I don't think I get the impression from Rafa he was never really that nervous he, ne- he always felt they were going to stay out uh, and that kind of transmitted to players as well yeah I mean even from our point of view I don't know if I've said this in the podcast before but when we met them after the first two defeats we all thought we were going to get promoted but we just thought Christ this could be would it be playoffs but that's, I don't think that's not representative of Newcastle fans at the time they were thinking Playoffs here, it's going to be tough. Yeah. Walked in our office and Rafa was like, We're still getting promoted, yeah. don't worry about that. I know, yeah, I it mentioned, it's, it's really interesting. I think it went down in uh, it'll be in October, and I think I mentioned it in the book, but um, 
Rafa basically said, well, we will go up. Yeah. And it, it was kind of disarming because you just thought, like, oh, right, okay. Um, and, and he was always confident that we were going to go up. He always felt that the process was going to lead to Newcastle going up. And that was, you know, that was really interesting because I don't think it was arrogance. I think it was just a kind of complete and utter faith in the methods. Um, which was, you know, which was I thought was really, uh, really refreshing, and it wasn't, it wasn't arrogant. It, you know, it was kind of like we need to work really hard, but it was almost like I know I'm going to work hard. I know this is going to work. So, um, yeah, it was, it was kind of like I think you probably got it as well. Like it was so disarming to go yeah. and speak to him, and like off the record, he was, he was kind of saying that he didn't want that on the record. Yeah, because no, he didn't, not. Because he just felt like you know that gives the wrong impression. Uh, but off the record, he was saying that. It was like, oh, right, right. <laughs> um, but yeah. So be- people listen every time you have a meltdown on social media. Just yeah. remember that the manager knows what he's doing um, so two really interesting parts for different reasons the two transfer windows which you kind of go into and I think they got their own chapters and you know so we'll start with the first one um, the Sogo stuff was really interesting and the, you know the I, I don't know how well publicised the interest from or the firm bid from Evan which they turned down you mentioned 80 million pounds and that for a re- recently relegated team with a financial problems that's pretty big bollocks that from yeah. not, not just Rafa by the way but Charlie and Ashley as well to to do that I think I think what was what was really interesting was at the start of that window there was basically like um, a, 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 the message came down from the top that you don't have to sell a single player now I think practically I think Rafa knew that that you know, that was never going to fly to a place it wanted to go but the Sissoko situation was really really interesting because Newcastle were so adamant from the start that they were going to get that money for, for Sissoko and it, what, was, what I found really interesting was the fact that like because he was on such a long contract which again you know we go back to the sort of stuff at the start about oh everything was wrong before Rafa yeah. came in well you know this is Oko thing. You know he, he benefited from the fact that they tied him down to this long deal that meant that basically Sissoko had nowhere to go. He, you know he could give all the interviews he wanted and yeah. be as annoyed as he wanted. And I think that was you know that was one of the really interesting things that you kind of had this situation where Sissoko was trying his best to try and get out of the football club, and Newcastle was just like steadfast. You know you're not going anywhere unless somebody comes in and matches exactly the bit that we want. Um, and I think they would have played him. I think they would have ended up playing him. Um, he would have had to play his penance. He would have had to, you know, spend a bit of time in the reserve. But I think Rafa would have ended up playing him and would have said, right, well, you know, you come and play well, and we'll, we'll have you, you know, we'll have you in January. But um, I, what was what was really interesting was that kind of like final bit, how it went right to the end. They must have known. I think Newcastle kind of they must have known that somebody was going to come in and pay that money. They must have felt that there was enough interest to do that. But I remember getting told by somebody very high at the club that basically the more that the players who wanted to leave were talking, the more resolve Newcastle had to basically say we're not going to sell them. But you have to remember, you know, with Kabai, they did exactly the same thing. They didn't sell Kabai because they felt like we don't think the bid's right. And then obviously they did sell him in January. In the end, they got more money than they than they would have got in uh, in the summer. So Newcastle have been kind of good sellers, and you know, I think you know, God, you know, God rest his soul, Czech Tiote was another player that Newcastle held on to. Um, for a lot longer than you know, they had an option to sell him, and they held on to him because they wanted to build a team around him, and that didn't work out in the end. But um, but you know, they have been quite bold in a way in, in not selling him. But like you said, being in the championship with a player potentially worth eighteen million is a lot. But they they made their money back from Van Alden, they made their money back from Yanma, uh, and I think they felt like they probably already covered their covered their losses a little bit. 
Um, you know, fair play to Ashley because he he gave them you know he gave them that overdraft to basically cover their losses in the in the championship. And you know, maybe some of the problems that they had came from reorganising themselves financially and being able to turn down bids of kind of eighteen million for Zoko. Um, but yeah, it was I, I think it was a perfect window this summer one um, for Newcastle. You know, they did really really well in that in that window. Um, and that's why I think why people now expect Newcastle to be able to do the same this summer, but it's yeah. going to be difficult. I mean, great section in the, in the start of the movie where you went through the window, almost bit like player, which I thought was class. And you've said before you we went on air that you, that you looked at that in hindsight, which which has helped. If you like, if, if you'd looked at the signings at the time, how much of that do you think you would have agreed with? Do you know what? Like, I, I was, I was actually, uh, I was actually in Canada uh, when the Murphy thing came through, and I have to confess that I was like, you know, you know, not, I'm really not sure about that one. I was kind of like, I just thought it, it smacked of kind of, you know, is this guy, is this guy good enough? They, they said at the start of the window that they were going to sign players who they thought could play in the Premier League, and then, and I thought, oh, they've kind of gone a bit back on that because they'd ended up signing Murphy, and how wrong I kind of was because. As it as it ended up, it was quite interesting because when you hear of Rafa's logic for signing Murphy, it suddenly makes sense. It was kind of like what was really interesting was he kind of like he had all the things that he needed from a player, and he needed somebody to score goals, somebody who was going to be happy not to play all the time, but had a pedigree. And it was like Murphy just fitted into that absolutely perfectly. And so it was good to go back in hindsight and look at that because I think if I'd have written it at the time, I'd have said, "Oh yeah, it was just a kind of additional signing to kind of." Pull out the numbers and stuff but actually that wasn't what Rafa was thinking until he was thinking I've got a guy here who's a good character and can score goals in the championship and it's kind of like perfect you know that was an absolute perfect signing Kieran Clark was another great example wasn't it um, we all went back now and we kind of think well and that was not a signing that was particularly popular at the time but actually it was, it was perfect Rafa had a guy who was motivated and I think all the players that he brought in had that motivation you know every single one of them was desperate to do well for Newcastle and Maybe in the past, Newcastle have kind of signed players who, you know, not that they're not into, but they're looking at Newcastle as a platform to go on to something else. And Murphy was just felt a privilege to be here. And I think that was kind of like key. And Rafa, it was all about character, wasn't it, for Rafa? And you go through and you kind of, there's a bit in serialization of the book, which we've got in the Chronicle tomorrow. It's about the hard and fast rules that Rafa has for recruitment. And, you know, it's kind of a guy we used to work with in 2010 saying, goes through every single thing that he the Rafa wants from a player. And all of the players that he signed had that in them in spades. You know, they all had that character that he wanted. And it's, you know, I just thought, you know, looking back, that that transfer window was just, you know, it was, it was so good because, yeah, they had money, but they, they recruited well. And Villa, who also had money, did not recruit well. They didn't recruit the right characters, and Rafa didn't. And then you've got the other transfer window. One of the most, I think, this is kind of public knowledge, but I've not seen it written down as, as clearly. Kind of speaking to other journalists from another podcast off the air, would heard it. But you put in the book that Mike Ashley was perplexed that we lost against Blackburn and then played a stronger, or whatever you look at it. He rested Dwight Gale, yeah. basically against Blackburn, yeah. who started at home. And his fans, when we went down that, that week, because I was at Holland Forest, there's only one game I was interested in winning. Yeah. And that was Hull. Yeah. And, you, you know, you've had if you were there that night but the away end was fervent it was you know it was, that was a massive game in our season and you could argue that losing it was probably good because the semi-final against Man United would have come in January without Gale without Shelby without, with all that other stuff going on so but you put you put in the book that that was a, an issue for Rafa and 
although he gets praised tremendously for being political, it's also the last thing he wants to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's. I think what was. I think what was kind of interesting in that that month, which is which was difficult to write about because actually, you know, you don't want to kind of miss. You don't want to kind of like um, put across the idea that, that either man was necessarily completely in the wrong because I think what happened with Ashley was that he he looked at it and said, well, why do we need extra money? We're second in the league. You know, we should be running away with this league and stuff. And I think that it showed really for me a little bit that like maybe Mike Ashley hadn't been paying as much attention as he should have been for what was actually going on at the football club, which was that Rafa was... You know, we spoke to Rafa um, about the cup, and he was—he wasn't sort of saying this is the most important thing in our season, but he obviously felt that he could work that team. He, he felt the team that he put against Blackburn was strong enough to win that game, and it, and it was strong enough to win that game, and they did actually probably deserve to get something out of that game. Um, but it was Ashley was just perplexed about why, you know, why some players weren't playing, and and, it, and you know, it's that kind of like you know, you're kind of banging your head against the brick wall in, in a way because you're sort of saying just let Rafa get on with it you know and, and I actually thought that when you kind of spoke to people around it you could almost see why they didn't end up signing players in, in January which at the time I think we were all kind of like utterly perplexed by it couldn't work out but when you kind of went back and then the accounts came out you could maybe see that like because there was a little bit of doubt about whether they were going to be in the Premier League it was this kind of idea that you know, look, like if they'd signed somebody and committed to signing somebody for fifteen million pounds, and then stayed down and not gone up, they would have been in real problems. And of course, like, you know, I don't think it was ever like said specific. I don't think it was ever said explicitly, but you know, I don't think Rafa would have been here if they hadn't, if they hadn't gone up this yeah. season. So I don't think, I don't think they would have been able to afford to put together this kind of squad that he would have wanted in the championship anyway. So it was like almost that idea that you know there was this kind of competing visions of where the club should be going and, and basically I think on that occasion Ashley won out um, and it just became it, it paralysed the whole thing you know because people weren't talking to each other again I think and it was like I don't think you had a meeting between Ashley and Benitez in January which you know you'd think well why didn't they meet well a lot of Ashley and I kind of go into it in the book a lot of Ashley is like well, who, who knows because like sometimes he does do things that just surprise you uh, and those kind of internal politics are kind of kind of a little bit complexing. But Rafa's the first guy who kind of knows you have to play it. You kind of got that idea that what was really what I really felt quite liked was the idea that Rafa was all that sort of thing. And he gave that interview after the QPR game, and I kind of reproduced the entire interview because it was kind of like, oh God, you know, where do we go from here? And then the next day or two days later, I think it was, he gave that press conference where he was like, look, we go to we go we go on and stuff. And it was like. That's what I mean by politics. It's not just playing politics for his own, but it's playing politics to say, actually, I'm going to put my own feelings to one side and I'm going to do what's right for the football club in this occasion. And I think that that was the right thing to do because Rafa could at that point have turned around and, and got fed up and said, I'm, I feel like promises to be broken. It's not what's said on the brochure, he could have walked out. But he didn't because it wasn't just politics for his own good, it was politics for the good of the football club. And um, yeah, and January was kind of interesting because at the time we were piecing together a lot of different viewpoints and stuff. And I think that like now looking back, you've been able to add some colour and you've been able to be maybe a little bit fairer to Ashley and where he was coming from. Um, but Rafa, it takes a lot of the credit because he handled that 
I think, really, really well because it did get tense. It got very, very tense before the Brentford game. And I think that was the most important win of the season yeah. because they won the game and it was Daryl Murphy who scored the goal and it was a little bit like, yeah, yeah, there we go. Trust Rafford, you know. Um, so it was kind of interesting, yeah. But putting that together was kind of the thing that I was most worried about in a way because, you know, it's never at Newcastle. It's never black and white, if you will, because it's never just one person's perspective because that's what you're maybe be fed sometimes. But it was loads of different competing viewpoints at play in Chattanooga. I think that um, Rafa did really well not making that into a bigger thing than it was because at the end of the season as we've seen it's been resolved because now they're on good, they're on good speaking terms. I think you make a great point there because A it's resolved I think that's there's all, by what happened in January there's always going to be elements of the fan base who are now they wouldn't have needed much to revert back to I hate Ashley's yeah. the worst bloke in the world that's done it and it's like you you probably see it now I'm sure you you're, you and your team in the chronicle will just get loads of people why have we made those signings yeah. he's done it again and all this kind of stuff yeah. and so that's but the most important thing that I would advise to people not that they need my advice is that you know Rafa knows what he's doing yeah. and it's it's going to be a what Jordan pick for 30 million quid yeah. goal, goalkeeper we're in, yeah. we're in a different market but I'm sure all that will come in the yeah, next few well, weeks but, well I'm, I'm, I hope when you read the book you get a fairer picture as well of Lee Charnley in that transfer window because he got a lot of stick I think around that transfer window but actually he was bridging the gap in some ways between the owner and the manager and he was in an impossible position I think because well, his job was on the line as you said yeah. in terms of like rapper completely if you know he, he must have known that was the final roll of the dice basically bringing rapper in and it was like I give him a lot of praise in the book because it takes a lot to, because rapper came and he wasn't cheap and I remember having a conversation with somebody in Newcastle when Rafa came in and they were like you know it's great that they're getting praise and stuff but what if this doesn't work and we go down you know is Mike actually going to turn around and say is Mike actually going to turn around and say well you've gambled the money on this guy he, he, you know you told me he was the, the bee's knees and it hasn't worked well we go back to the way that I want to be run paired back you know this that and the other and it didn't happen and I think you've got to give Lee Charney some praise for that and you know I, I try to be even handed in the book and try to be a little bit like you know where stuff needs to be criticised and I try to you know it's one of the benefits of kind of like being able to take a step back a little bit is actually say look you know Lee Charney deserves some praise for what for what happened and, and even in January when he didn't make the signs that he wanted to make I wouldn't have wanted to be in this position because people say to you like oh well Lee Charney just should have done should have done the business should put his head on the chopping block yeah but we all we all work with people we all we all have people to answer to and you know Mike Ashley's a very very powerful man and Lee Charnley is not going to go in and say well I'm doing it this way you know I don't care what you say because he won't last very long because you know essentially he has a two competing big sets of priorities to kind of work it and that's what's happening in, in the summer as well you know they could have probably paid 17 million and got Harry Maguire, but actually they probably looked at it and thought, well, he's not worth that. We weren't looking to get him for that much. So we're going to go out and do something something else instead. Same with Pickford, isn't it? 30 million pounds is a lot of money. Um, that would blow Newcastle's budget. Yeah. But by the same token, they did try and sign Tom Kearney for uh, what would have been a club record amount, you know? So it wasn't like they weren't trying to sign players in January, but I think that it was all just done with this shadow of kind of Ashley, uh, Ashley on it. And, um, but then again, you know, I can almost see Ashley's point of view looking back of like, you know, what, you're going to re-sign Andros Townsend for £15 million? Well, you've got 
Kufran, you've got, you know, you've got Richie can play on that side, you know. Well, Sammy Amiri, if you need him. Yeah. And that was it. Sammy came back in the end, and it was like, you know, and I, I could almost see Mike Lashley's point. It wasn't what I would have done. I think, you know, if you'd have got Andros Nelson 14 million now, you'd have said, brilliant. And I kind of go into it, and the, book, the targets were meant to be players who were signing with a view to, like, right, well, that's half the business done in January. And it didn't work out that way. And that was, you know, that was one of the things that Rafa had to manage. And all the way through, I kind of go into to how Rafa doesn't just manage the team he manages the whole club and that's why I think it's really impressive about it. totally agree and you mentioned that maybe pre-January and post-January there was a little bit of change of tack from him in terms of uh, the style of football the resources but ultimately he got, ultimately he got the job done yeah. um, you know I think and you go going to the referees as well and the book and what you know how the concern that Rafa had yeah. and not just Rafa the whole coaching squad had with that and Newcastle had a lot going against them this season an awful lot and I, I, I don't think so our nearest and dearest I don't think Sunderland will have half what we had to put up with this season and they'll probably not come up and they'll probably spend some money but we've got it um, so I think you do a really good job of painting that picture in the book of actually there's a fair bit for this bloke to sort out beyond putting the team yeah. on the football pitch and that's Newcastle United at the end of the day yeah <laughs> yeah well I mean I think what was really interesting was because I kind of mentioned the um, uh, I was speaking to a bookmaker through it, a guy called Steve Freak who works at uh, and I kind of mentioned the start I'm kind of going into why they were such short price short price favourites and stuff and all of that stuff I don't think necessarily helped Newcastle in terms of they came into the division like they came into the division like really like they, they, they did stick their chests out a little bit and said we're Newcastle United we're going to win this league but that made it more difficult for them because then when they didn't win the league or when they didn't start that well and when they they were kind of starting to pick up games and starting to lose games and stuff they then became the team that everybody sort of wanted to beat yeah. and I think Rafa was big on that he sort of said you know there's a bit in it where I kind of quote him say you know I, I've, um, I've kind of been in the game long enough to know that sometimes when I've got a 25% win rate win ratio it's been a lot I've done a lot better job than when I've had an 8% yeah. win ratio because at Real Madrid he had a brilliant win ratio but I don't think even he would say I did a good job at Real Madrid he would say he did a really good job at Newcastle I think, I think he would say that this is one of the most satisfying seasons of his career because there was so much more going on behind the scenes than people realised and you know it's like the stuff with the referees you know it's quite interesting because Rafa clearly felt that it wasn't he clearly felt that it wasn't that referees were against them but it was that referees were finding it difficult to yeah. referee Newcastle games because there was more focus on them experience I think is the word you use yeah yeah, yeah and, and you see it like you know I mentioned a few people like a guy in the refereeing circles who kind of basically agrees with what Rafa's saying and said yeah these games are too big for the referees to handle but then, you know, fans in the championship would say, oh, well, Newcastle shouldn't get preferential treatment. Yeah, but you could see there were so many mistakes made over the course of the season refereeing Newcastle. It must have been a problem. And I think that Sunderland are coming down a little bit more. They're not coming down and they're not going to invest in the way that Newcastle invested. They're going to come down and be a little bit more like a kind of Norwich were. And they're going to try and, they're going to, they're, you know, I think they'll be one of the favourites. They've got to be one of the favourites. But they will not be the team that everybody wants to beat from the start because they're not going to come out with chest puffed up saying we're the team to beat. I think there'll be other teams in that division who will be equally kind of favourites as, as Sunderland. Um, and I think it was just basically because Newcastle came down with Rafa and they spent all this money that everybody thought, right, if we can knock them off their perch, it's going to be, you know, that, that is almost a win for us. And, and I think Huddersfield, 
start the season, them winning St James's Park gave them the belief that they could go on and get promotion and you know and, and fair play that they did, you know. And, and, uh, but yeah, I mean there was so many challenges and so many little things and it's really interesting when you kind of look at the tactical way that Rafa had to work, you know, and, and he was a little bit needs must by the end. Because there were some games that were a grind, weren't there? Some games that were just like yeah, that was not particularly pleasant to watch. Wolves away yeah. was it was not a pleasure not a pleasure to watch but they got the job done at, yeah. at a crucial time how long have we seen Newcastle teams do the opposite of that yeah. particularly away from yeah, yeah. Years. absolutely yeah absolutely and, and that was kind of like trying to get that across in the book a little bit of like so I've had a few Sunderland fans sort of saying um, you know oh, I can't believe you're writing a book about a guy who you know came down with a budget you know and, I, and there was a thread on ready to go I was I, I googled it the other day to right. get a um, to get a, the link to sort of buy the book so I was putting it on Twitter and saying yeah if we can buy the book going through this and uh, I googled it and um, there was a thread on ready to go and I thought I'm not even going to click on that but I can imagine what, what Sunderland fans are saying like oh god yeah I can't believe you're writing a book <laughs> the revolution what's this and stuff is, like, actually if you read the book that's why I'm saying it is yeah. worthy of writing a book because <laughs> just come up and you know they just come up and and, uh, and you know they did, it had been all their own way and Rafa had come into a club that was fully functioning yeah it wouldn't have been that remarkable and maybe yeah. it wouldn't have been that much material to write the book I think Newcastle they've got like in our ridiculous pre-season podcast which no one should listen to by the way <laughs> when we predict Newcastle are going to go 120 or 130 points that wouldn't have been remarkable would it like Newcastle spent 40 million in January then you know like, I totally agree with you yeah. but, but as it happened and you know the things that Rafa had to deal with and I think that's Norwich and Villa just provided that platform. No, no one looks at them. Well, I say no one. That's an exaggeration. But a lot of fans just ignore them. Turning around, this will be Sunderland's problem. A lot of those players are losers. They're used to losing. The staff are used to losing. The fans are used to yeah. losing. Losing is not a big deal. It wasn't a big deal last Villa or Norwich. You know, and, and that's that's one of the hardest things for managers. And Sean Dyke should have a Burnley member to turn that round. But winning's hard. Winning any game of football, any level, even Celtic. Brendan Rodgers says winning games of football's hard. It's not like they just turn up and win. Yeah. Yeah. So the job Rafa did this season should be remembered for many years. And I think you've done yeah. a really good job of putting together yeah. all the different aspects of that. Because he kind of recognised the start of that character and you kind of like, um, there's a really, really good quote from him when he's asked about why have you kind of got this away form? Why have you sorted this away form out? And he's like, it's about character. You know, we, I can put the team off to kind of take the free kicks in a certain way, the corners in a certain way, but it's about character. And what what's really interesting is like, um, you know, you, you go through and it was like doing the research for the book you pick up these kind of quotes that Rafa came out with during the season and they make so much more sense now for picking them out looking back because at the time he said so much and we live in a world and I think I mentioned it last time I was on the podcast we live in a world where there is so much talked about football you know press conferences two times a week um, we, we write so much about football so much is said about football and sometimes you need to go back and, and realise ah, actually when he said that that's what he meant and when a player said that oh god that's what they're referring to and stuff it was really it was great actually because there'll probably be stuff in the book I don't think there's anything in the book that probably hasn't you know there's no like great you know like you know, wow, that's a, this massive revelation that I never knew about. But it's all stuff that you're trying. I was trying to piece together this jigsaw of what was happening, and sometimes it was like quotes that were like lost. You know that I've done, I've done a piece in, you know, and the quotes had buried third to last paragraph of the press conference, right up and stuff. Actually, wow, that's the most relevant thing. And it was like, you know, Rafa was 
if you piece together bits, he explained it all through the season. He he was open and honest about everything that he did. He explained it all, and it was just a, an absolute privilege to be able to piece it all together and to be able to go through and say, ah, right, okay, I'll take that from October the twenty third when he said that because that was relevant then on February the third when he kind of like had to deal with this and stuff. And it was I really enjoyed being able to do that, and I, and I hope that you know that, that it will be a kind of relevant portrait of what happened in the season because that was kind of the, the aim was to sort of put it all together and realise looking back now that what Rafa did these little things that he did all made sense in the end you know like painting the training ground a light a shade of blue I mean you know we all know that happens he's talked about that quite a lot but when you see what he said about it it's like oh right, yeah I see that you know but he um he, put the, he made the, uh, the the padding near the seats better for the players and stuff because he knew they were going to be coming in for for longer and stuff, and he didn't want them. You know, he, he kind of changed the lighting in the um, in the uh, canteen and stuff like that. And he was like, "All right, okay, I see why that works." Because he he wanted the players to come back in and feel like it had changed, and and that was kind of like, "All right, so it's all about changing that culture." And it was all these little things. We talked about marginal gains from Team Sky and stuff. Rafa did that. He just didn't make a big thing of it, like Team Sky did, you know. And he wasn't selling it as, you know, I'm doing this. It was just stuff that he did. Um, so, yeah. I'm pleased in the book you referenced Bristol because that was Newcastle's first away win in nine months. But really, they went, the win to Spurs and Portsmouth, a win's a win last season, but like, we didn't deserve to win either game. And, you know, Bristol had the, I remember I was there, Bristol had that moment at the end. We really didn't have to make any saves, but they certainly could have scored. But that was a team hiding its body on the line. That was it, you know. Bournemouth, Rob Elliott and Kevlar yeah. defensively doing a thing. Spurs was just a weird game. There was very few chances when Spurs went one up and we got two goals at the end, but that Bristol game was a committed team of players doing whatever they had to do to get over the line and I think that was set, set the precedent for the rest of the season because it's been, these away wins have been great but very few of them QPR aside Derby aside maybe that kind of four day period Cardiff as well you could argue a lot of them were very ground out wins we didn't go and turn over teams 4-0 and yeah. it was 1-0 it was 2-0 it was 2-1 Preston's a great example Preston away was a really hard game yeah. especially if you beat them 6-0 three days earlier yeah. and you, you do a good job in the book of kind of particularly going through the character of the players that we've signed and other players there of just how I don't know I don't know what they meant to do it but it almost makes it you know reading about Dwight Gale and the problems that he had and reading about Matt Ritchie and you know Dwight Gale and Matt Ritchie both had managers resigned which I didn't know until uh, reading yeah. the book which which makes sense because of the kind of guys they are and those managers are probably thinking the same as Rafa now these are guys I need in my team yeah. characters more than the very good players as well so that character and Rafa talks about it and you kind of bring it out a lot is essential to this football club and stuff yeah. that we haven't had as far so long which again either, I'm sure you didn't know what they meant to do it but the contrast to not a broken football club but a football club with a dress room full of lads who just weren't invested yeah. in, in any kind of project here because it wasn't like it wasn't necessarily that the guys who were in before didn't care or that they didn't have that sort of they didn't have a drive I think they did have a drive but their drive was to have a great season and maybe put themselves in the shot window for something else and I think Rafa kind of recognised that that wasn't going to cut the mustard at Newcastle anymore it was it had to be these guys are coming and they're, they're coming to play for Newcastle United and it's easy to say that but to actually do the homework on the players to realise that that's what they really want and they're not just saying it 
because you know Johan the Bike came in and said, "Oh, Newcastle's a big club. I want to be here and stuff." But you do your homework and stuff, and and actually with Kabai, it was very much sold to him as you come in and if things go well, you'll move on. So they didn't need to do that with Richie, and it's because Richie was living above a pub three years before, and Gail was, you know, you know, the, the chatter back like, "Oh, well, Black Gail rides the bus," because you put him like. You know, doing this, doing this amazing sort of journey to get to Newcastle. It's only about four years before he actually ends up in Newcastle. Well, it's, it's, it's I think it was 2012, 13, yeah. which is crazy because you think, oh yeah, four years ago. And then I can remember, I'm sure people listening to this can remember games from four years ago, and it's like no one heard it like him. Yeah. He's doing this thing, as you say. So it wasn't that long ago. So for him to come where he is now, and he's some player, by the way. Like, yeah. I, I think he'd be a great player next season as well if he manages to stay fit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well, well done for basically yeah. oh, you paid, you paid a great. Player. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I, I kind of felt like the the, um, the thing with the players was it, there's, there's a lot of cliches kind of go around about like what they did in the season, and, you, and in a and it is difficult in a, like an 800 word article. You sort of say, oh, we brought in players who wanted to play for Newcastle, but then what's great about the book is you're then able to say like, well, why do they want? Why is that different? Because you know every football club wants to bring in players who want to play for that football club, but it's actually like, how is it that Rafa is able to tap into that where other managers weren't? And it's like. Great point, Kieran Clark at Villa. Exactly, yeah, 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 because Clark, Clark loved Villa, and it wasn't that he, you know, it wasn't that it, it, it just got a little bit stale for him, and I think Rafa just knew the right people to talk to. I mean, he did, Rafa made so many calls, you know, you speak to people, like the Richie thing's quite interesting, isn't it? Because he says himself, you know, everybody I was ringing was telling me, Matt Richie, Matt Richie, Matt Richie, and you sort of think, oh, well, that's how he got Richie. And then when Richie gets approached, Richie wants to play for Newcastle and it's like you know I thought it was quite quite interesting there's a few little kind of nice quirks that I didn't realise I won't, I won't sort of spoil it but in that first chapter you don't realise like the, the day of reckoning at Newcastle actually had all these nice little parallels and little things that actually oh wow you know six months later you realise oh god you know that, that actually ended up coming to mean something else in the long term and I don't want to kind of give away too much of kind of like the, the thesis of the book but I kind of wrote it with a, an idea that I just wanted to piece together a lot of these little things that I've heard during the course of the season and just try and piece together this big picture and stuff and it was quite good because the first person to read it in full was um, my colleague Chris Chris War, and he was um, uh, and he was kind of like going. He gave me quite a lot of advice. He said the Bristol City one was quite interesting. So I hadn't really mentioned it too much, and he said, "Oh, look, this was a key moment in the season. Got to mention that a bit more." He said to me, "Vernon's a really good one," and, and I was kind of like, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I ended up doing that. And Chancel and Bendel was another one where Chris said, "You know, mention Chancel because it's really interesting." And of course, you don't realise that at the end of the season, Bender suddenly's like being stopped on, uh, you know, being stopped in. Uh, in the centre of town kind of you know a hero and start the season didn't look like he was going to play again and it's like wow you know really interesting isn't it it's like how that kind of football club pursued and, and how it changed and stuff and that tirelessness that Rafa's got is just that's his biggest asset I think he doesn't rest on his laurels he didn't feel like he was coming into a club where he was I'm the big man and everybody's got to feel like you know they've got to worship me and so it wasn't about that for Rafa his CV didn't matter and he came in and said my CV doesn't matter I've got to impress these players with what I do at this football club not what I did in Istanbul um, and that was what's that's what's so impressive about him he's very humble and, you know, confident but humble and sort of that has that 
you know, that idea that he needs to keep proving himself every day, turns up for work, and he doesn't rest on his laurels. And you know, I think that's what's so brilliant about Rafa, really, in some ways. Newcastle haven't had somebody like that. I don't think there are many people like that. Yeah. I wouldn't say I was, you know, would you say that you, if somebody went in every day and wanted to prove yourself, you know, would you have given up on some holiday? Yeah. I, I, think I would have given up on some holiday. I, I, you know, if I was him, after the final day of the season, I probably would have taken a few days off. Yeah. Rafa didn't want to do it. It's not in his, it's not in his makeup, and that's why he's so successful. Another one mix, which is I think nearly done yet. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. Well, thanks so much for doing it, Mark. Um, do you want to give another plug for when it's out? Yeah. So it's out on Thursday the fifteenth. Um, it's probably in the shops about Friday, Saturday. Um, it's kind of seventy thousand words or something. So probably a good holiday read if you want to go out there. It's not like hopefully it's not too much of a kind of you know it's quite an easy read as well. I hope that you know people who really kind of feel it's uh, you know a decent uh, accurate portrayal of what happened in the season. But uh, yeah, nine ninety nine. Uh, you get it on Amazon, get it on through um, Sport Media, and it will be available in all the bookshops in Newcastle over the weekend. Brilliant, thank you very much.